Be seated. Yeah. Aren't you glad Jesus is our amen? You know what amen is? Amen just means yes. It's God's yes to us, and Jesus is our yes from God, and it's our yes to God <laughs> is in Jesus. It's so cool. That Jesus is our Sabbath rest. I'm trying to learn how to rest in God. Uh, Hebrews 4 says it this way, that I've labored to enter into the rest. That everything in my power is to work at me trusting myself less and Jesus more. That everything within me, every effort that I make is a labor to end my labor. Okay? And how many of you know, we get so used to leaning on the flesh that sometimes it's nervous when you try to step into the spirit. But once you start walking in the spirit, you'll never want to walk in the flesh ever again. Once you start living by faith, you'll never want to operate in your own intellect and strength ever again. And so it's a, it's a laboring to do that. Sometimes it's hard to trust God with these things. But each step that you take with him, you realize that, uh, I mean... God's ways are just better. He's just, they're just so much better. Um, Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. When God created the world in six days, it says that he rested. That doesn't mean that God was tired and he needed to take a nap. That means that God actually, that's throne room language, that God actually sat on his throne and ceased from working and stepped into the place of ruling. So God did the creative work. Jesus does the salvific work, the salvation work. So after six hours on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Or it is good. Or now I'm going to sit down and rule. From here on. So the world put it in a nutshell that looked, um, that looked bad. They thought they were shaming him. But the cross was actually him being high and lifted up as king of the whole universe. And that's why the demonic powers, the Bible says, that if the demons would have known that the crucifying Christ would have made him the king, they would have never done it. So the demonic realm, had they known the cross was going to mean him being set up as ruler forever, they would have killed anybody trying to put him on the cross. <laughs> but God's just smarter than the devil. Yeah, he's smarter than the devil, way smarter. So Jesus said, it's finished, just like God on the sixth day said, it's, I'm finished, I'm resting. So now Jesus is at the right end of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us where he is uh, ruling and reigning until every ideology, every philosophy, every government, every system is being brought to its knees slowly and processually by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard of a conqueror that didn't have to use a sword or a weapon? That God says, I could just do it with some words. Wow. That's cool. So God... Uh, he is, he's just awesome. He's just awesome. And so, so everything about what God wants to do in our life is about identity. He wants us to know who we are in him. 
And Jesus' work was to reveal to us not just his work and what he was doing, but he was calling us into the life with him. Um, you know, a lot of times we say things like this, like, you know, uh, you need to ask Jesus into your life, right? And that's okay, but this would probably be a better prayer. Jesus, let me come into your life so that I could walk out. And, and I think that's where we kind of mess up. We're always asking God to come into our stuff. Why don't we say, God, what are you doing? And how can I get in on that? So Jesus is the prototype. He is the second Adam. He is the potential and what humanity ought to be and should have been, even though Adam messed it up. So everything Jesus did wasn't just to just cover our sins. That's a huge part of it. But it was actually to invite us on a journey with him by the Holy Spirit in relationship so that we might start to walk in the life of Jesus himself. That's, and Jesus is always inviting us into that. He's always inviting us into that. That's why he says when he calls these fishermen, he says, you guys are going to be actually fishers of men. He's already given them identity. How does he address God? How do we pray? We want to get in on praying like you pray. Well, if you want to pray like I pray, do it like this. Our Father. Yes. Well, what? Yes. You mean your Father? No, our Father. Yes. He's inviting us into sonship where we might get a glimpse of heaven and we'd start to bring the reality of heaven down here to earth. And when we get an identity of who we are and where our origin actually is, then we will get, start getting a glimpse of how we ought to be and we'll start walking in the life of Jesus in each and every day in each and every circumstance. And that's the work. That's why Jesus said, greater works you're going to do. Like, no, come on, Jesus, seriously. He wasn't kidding. He was saying, if you'll step into this life with me, I'll start to set you loose on this identity that you are a son and daughter of God and I'll begin to expand your horizons and draw you into the miraculous realm and into a realm led by the spirit of God where you might know what it is to know the father like I know him and that you could walk and do ministry on the earth the way I do it. He invites us to every element of his life. Right? Think about it. How does he start out? Deny yourself. Take up your... That's your cross, Jesus. No, 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 no. Your cross. He invites us onto every sphere of life with Jesus. And he's calling us into deep relationship with him. He's calling us and deep calls unto the deep. The Bible says, I has not seen nor ear heard. Annette Loy walked through the door back there. No, I'm just saying, sorry. <laughs> Had to embarrass you. I'm always in. Hey, you're all right. <laughs> hey, you're here. You're here. Eyes not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love us or love Him. And then we stop right there and we use that as a funeral text to talk about heaven. But have you ever read the next part of the verse? If Christians would start reading a little bit more of the verse, they would actually find out the, good, the better news. Because do you know what it says? But God has revealed these things to us by his spirit. Because the spirit of God searches the deep things of God and then reports them back to me so that I can be in on the conversation going on in the throne room between the Father and the Son. 
that the Spirit of God would search the deep things of God and find out those things about Him and then search the deep things in me that are getting in the way of me hearing Him. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to convict you just because He wants you walking around feeling guilty about yourself all the time. The Holy Spirit is trying to remove every hindrance that would keep me from hearing the voice of God in the conversation going on in the throne room. So while he searches the deep of God, he searches the deep of me so that deep could call unto deep. That the relationship with God would be more than a superficial forgiveness of sins, but we would actually be sons and daughters of God and know who our dad's like so that we could emulate him on the earth. And that's all of Jesus' ministry. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Amen. If you hear me, you've heard the Father. I don't do anything except what I've seen him do. So everything Jesus did was just an echo of what he already saw in his Father. And so the Holy Spirit wants to bring us in on that reality so that we could walk the way Jesus walked on the earth so that we could point people to the Father the way Jesus did. That's the gospel. The gospel is you are a son and daughter of God. Act like it. That's the gospel. But you can't act like what you don't know. So thus, you've got to have relationship. And we've boiled it down to a, a little prayer, which is a good start, but how, how far has that got you? You've got to step into relationship. You've got to step into journey. You've got to step into being led by the Holy Spirit of God and learn for the rest of your life about this beautiful, wonderful Savior that is kinder than you've ever met, that is humble than, more humble than you've ever met, that is more beautiful than you could ever imagine. And this is what he wants you to be in on. He wants you to be in on the reality that's going on in heaven, and he wants that reality down here on earth. And the book of Revelation is always showing us what's going on in the throne room of God. And you know what I'm finding what's going on in the throne room of God all the time? Worship. So there's a clue. How do I get on, on the throne? How do I get a hold of the throne of God? Sounds like worship ushers me into that place where I can get a hold of God and he can get a hold of me. That God has created creatures that all they do is worship. But it also gives us a model for what pure worship looks like. They're called the seraphim. And they fly around and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if those seraphim could come down on this stage and preach the gospel to you today, what do you think they would say? I'm sure they wouldn't say, well, turn your Bible to such and such. We're going to just talk about, you know, this. They would come down and say, Jesus is beautiful. He's wonderful. He's incredible. I don't have words. And when we get that kind of a glimpse, we'll start living the life we're supposed to live. These creatures fly around, eyes all over their body. Six sets of wings. Like 
God, what are you doing here? <laughs> God, I was all over their body because the way you see God is through an intuitive faith nature with the eyes of your heart. So they're giving us a clue on how they see God. Because with two wings, they hide these eyes, don't they? So they're giving us a clue. How do we worship him? With the eyes of our heart. We have to worship Jesus in a deep heart, relational level that goes deeper than what my eyes could see. With two, they cover their feet. What's that all about? Well, feet would be an indicator that I am created, creatureliness. It's what Jesus told Moses at the burning bush. Take off your sandals. We need to have a connection here. If you didn't have shoes, it was a sign that you were a slave. That's why the prodigal son, when he came home, he gives him shoes. Creatureliness, it's a servitude. And with two, they're flying. I don't know what those two are all about. Around the throne room. How can they say the same thing over and over and over and over again without it getting stale? You ever heard the same song over and over and you're like, all right, this is old. The reason why they can say it afresh just as good the millionth, billionth time as much as the first is because God keeps giving new revelation of himself. So they're never living on an old revelation they're always living in the new revelation that God is willing to give them. So on the Lord's Prayer, he says, give them this day our daily bread. That there's fresh bread every single day with God. If we'll press into the secret place with him, in the quiet place and seek him, he'll give us fresh bread every single day. I've been in this thing for about 15 years. And I'm still finding out how beautiful Jesus is. I remember when I first got saved, they said, yeah, that excited period you're in, that's going to wear off pretty soon. I took it as a challenge. I'm 15 years in and I'm more excited now than I was the day I got saved. You can't tell me that lie that the infinite God has revealed all he has for me to see and there's not more of him that I can apprehend. I love what Paul says. I've apprehended what has apprehended me. It's like God's got me by the shirt. And I finally get tired of fighting him and I just go, oh, let me grab you back. <laughs> and it goes from a fight to a dance. Is that okay? And you know when I'm dancing, guess what? I'm not thinking about my next move. I'm in the moment. If you've got to think about what you're doing, it's stiff. Maybe if it's a robot, you could pull the robot off like that. 
But when I'm in tune with God and in relationship with Him, the supernatural becomes natural. Because I'm in the life. I'm in His life. The Bible says, for as many as are called the sons of God, the same are led by the Spirit of God. That a sign of sonship or daughtership is that we are being led by the Spirit of God. And so that's the journey I want to go on. But I've got to figure out who I am. I've, I've got to get my identity from God. I can't get it anywhere else. Because if I settle for less than being a son or daughter of God, I won't try to look like the Father. I was thinking about the Israelites when the last plague was coming through and the death angel was going to come through and they had to have the blood applied to the doorposts. I was thinking that as they were applying that blood, that it was the blood that was going to, you know, make the angel pass over. But there was an attitude of faith within that as well. That there might have been some people applying the blood and then going to a neighbor and saying, man, did you hear about what's going to happen? Man, this death angel's coming through and like, I'm really nervous. And there was probably some that had applied the blood that were saying, yeah, no, no, we got the blood, we're good. So it would pass over both of them, but one had a confidence in the relationship and the nature of God. The other one was just applying something in order to not fall into punishment. And there's a lot of people following God to just miss hell. And I'm going to tell you, that's the bottom rung of the ladder. Because he's got so much more for you than just you to dodge hell. Matter of fact, that's been the problem with our gospel is we've sold fire insurance and we failed to tell them about the beauty and the majesty and the wonder and the glory of this Jesus and we failed to live it out. Because we're content to just miss hell. I want to tell you something. Heaven's not going to be full of people that are just afraid to go to hell. Heaven's going to be full of people that are madly in love with Jesus and are all about Jesus and just want more of Jesus. So I'm just saying there's more. And I'm not happy where I'm at. I want to go more. I want to do more. Why? Because I'm a son. And my father's given me a great inheritance. I want to live out of that and point other people to, to the Father. Well, we better get in here to some scripture here. We're never going to get out of here. All right, Revelation, we'll start in 19, verse 19, and then we'll, then we'll jump into chapter 20 here. I just kind of want to recap a little bit about, it's called a war, but it really isn't much of a war uh, as you're reading it with me. Revelation 19, verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to do battle with the one who rode the horse and his army. 
That's Jesus and, and the saints with him. Verse 20. Now the beast was seized. <laughs> Not much of a war there. <laughs> the beast was seized along with the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. Signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire, burning with sulfur. Now, if I was to tell you that was a war, that's a pretty boring fight right there, right? It's like the Bible is showing us how small Satan is, how small the world systems are, how small the other world religions are compared to the glorious King Jesus and, and how victorious we are in him. It's like, here are all these kings ready to do battle with Jesus, and the beast is seized, and the false prophet seized, and they're thrown into a burning deal. It's like, there's no contest. It's kind of like when light comes against darkness, right? Who's a midnight snackers here? I like that late night bowl of cereal. I, 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 it's New Year. I'm trying to. I've, I've shed some. I'm gonna try to shed some more. But I love that late night fourth meal, right? You eat that dinner at six, and if you don't go to bed, ooh, you get to pilfering around the cat cupboard and everything. And when you go into the, when you flip the light on, is there like this great struggle between light and darkness before you go in and get to get your snack? And you're like, hold on, I've got to wait for the battle between light and darkness to end so that I can get my bowl of cereal. You flip the light and just go get the cereal. That darkness is actually just the absence of light. It's not a real entity. While light is a real entity. So it's like Jesus is saying, you're the light of the world. But we create these doctrines that prop up the devil and prop up evil so much as if there's a big bad devil and we've got this little bitty God in us and around us and so we hunker down and just hope for the best. But darkness is no match for light. Light just like, it just it disappears. It's not even there. And so the whole book of Revelation is showing us that we don't even have a formidable foe. That Satan is so small and so tiny and so pitiful that the only way he exists is the footholds that we give him in our life and allow him to power us and make us do things that we don't, that we don't even really want to do. That Satan is, he's just a punk. He just can't do nothing. We create these things about him being so big and bad, and then we own that identity, and then we don't see Jesus as big and glorious as he is. So here's the beast, which represents the oppressive governmental systems. Here's the false prophet, the false religious systems that empower each other. That's who killed Jesus, Rome, and the, and the Judaism that wanted him out of the way. And he just, beast, false prophet, burning fire, sulfur. Next. This is the God we serve. 
So he wants us to get a bigger vision of him than we have of the devil and the evil in the world. And when we start seeing ourselves as the light, then we'll start going to dark places. We'll begin to lose the fear that these things have over us because really what we fear is what we don't know. I've always said this, hate is not the opposite of love because perfect love doesn't drive out hate. What does perfect love drive out? Fear. So I fear what I don't know, what I've not met, what I've not been willing to love. Out of what? Fear. Out of fear. It's the heart of every evil in the universe. Is what I'm afraid of, I begin to hate. Even if it might be good. <laughs> so this is the, the thing that God's called us into. He's trying to show us. This is the, these are the enemies that seem to be boasting such great things. That got into the valley or the field or the plain of Megiddo and flexed their chest against God. And God said, are you serious? Are you serious right now? And see, when we get that in our mind and in our spirit, start living that way. Start living that way. We'll start doing bold exploits for the Lord. Verse 21, and the others killed by the sword that extended from the mouth of the one. Notice where the sword is. It's in his mouth. The gospel, the message, the word, the word that become flesh, Jesus, the mouth of the one who rode the horse and all the birds gorged themselves with their flesh. If you remember before that, there was the marriage supper of the lamb where there was a great banquet. And so those who opposed Jesus were invited to a great banquet too, but they were the ones on the menu. And so that's the irony there that John's trying to capture. Two great banquets. One in which those would oppose God and then those who would feast with God at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel descending from heaven, holding, his hand, holding in his hand the key to the abyss and the huge chain. So remember, we dealt with Antichrist, the beast, and we dealt with the false prophet. Now look what we're dealing with here. Then I saw the angel descending from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the abyss and a huge chain. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and tied him up for a thousand years. Wow. So we dealt with two parts of the unholy trinity. This is a mocking of an, a, a, bad, a bad imitation of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is beast, false prophet, dragon. So Jesus is making it clear which one he is, a father, son, the Holy Spirit, spirit that's pure. And then we have a beast, a false prophet, and a dragon, right? So this is the unholy trinity. So he binds him for a thousand years. Again, was there any struggle here? Those went to a hole. For a thousand years. Like this is how small. Like this is the guy. 
that caused so much havoc on the earth? Like, this is the guy that causes wars where millions of people die. This is the guy that stirs up racism in people's hearts. This is the guy? Jesus says, why have y'all given him so much power? Why have you even given him a foothold in your life? So pitiful. And that's what Jesus is trying to show us here. Trying to show us. If God's for you, who can be against you? Who can be against you? I mean, really. Verse 3. Then the angel threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it so that he could not deceive the nations until the a thousand years were finished. After these things, he must be uh, released for a brief period of time. Wow. That seems kind of weird. Why would Jesus take care of two-thirds of the satanic trinity and then tie the devil up for a thousand years and then let him come back out? Uh, Let's see here, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. These are those who uh, furthered the gospel throughout the great tribulation, who stood firm, who were willing to experience martyrdom for the sake and the testimony about Jesus. These had not worshipped the beast or his image and had refused to receive his mark on their forehead or hand. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So those who, the dead in Christ and those who are alive with him get caught up with Jesus And then something interesting happens as the gospel begins to get uh, furthered uh, here that people begin to get saved during this incredible time of of persecution. And these all come together and are in glorified bodies, ruling and reigning with Jesus for a thousand years. So Jesus is in charge. He has all of us redeemed saints with him in glorified bodies, making sure that we're enforcing the perfect justice and love and equity and beautiful things that are in Jesus' heart. He's got us backing him up, and he's given the decrees, and he's ruling and reigning over a group of people, some of which didn't die, I guess. Some of which that were alive and didn't call out to, didn't worship the beast, but didn't worship Jesus either. I mean, I don't know how this all plays out. We'll we'll find out. (laughs) I can tell you that. 
So we rule and reign perfect justice from Jesus' heart for a thousand years while Satan is falling in the hole tied up or something. So God lets Satan back out. And watch what happens. This is just, this is, this is insane. But humanity tends to be insane sometimes. Verse 7, now when the thousand years were finished, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to bring them together for battle. They are as numerous as the grains of sand in the sea. They went up on the broad plain of the earth and encircled the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Watch what happens. Again, not much of a war here. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them completely. It's like, when's humanity going to learn here, right? Like, just give it over to Jesus, okay? Uh, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the fire of lake and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented there day and night forever. Now, why does God... Give Satan one more crack at humanity. I think he's displaying something about us that's rather frightening. That even with Jesus ruling and reigning perfectly and everything being perfect, humanity will still think they can do it better than God. So we're finding out something about us. And we're finding out something about God. We find out that there's just something in us humans that just don't want to give it over to God. And the only time we do is when we hit such a rock bottom that we find out he's the rock at the bottom. And do a lot of work with, with recovery. And when somebody's on one, it's got to run its course. I hate it. I try to stop it. And I end up enabling. And until that thing runs its course and a moment of clarity comes, you can't help. And so God has given us a moment of clarity. dispensation of time and grace for us to call upon him and find out who he is. And I pray that you'd use everything that is within you to go after Jesus as hard as you possibly can. Hard as you possibly can. That like Paul said, I'm running this race as if there's a winner. I'm running this race as if, I'm a, as if only one person can win. That's how I'm running. And he understands there's going to be others that win with him. But his mindset is of such that nobody's going to out-Jesus me. We had a group of 20-somethings that was saved about the time I was. And we were, all, we were all counselors at this Christian day camp. 
And there was so much of an environment of the fire of God that we were all just going after God so hard. And when you were doing your own thing, you better not come back to the group and not have a story of somebody you didn't witness to, pray for, or you were the odd man out. Talk about reverse peer pressure. I thought, man, I better pull over and witness to somebody or I'm going to go back with my friends and they're going to have all the stories. <laughs> what were we doing? We were trying to outrun each other to get to Jesus. And it was like a competition, but it was a healthy competition because all it did was spur one another onward more so that we would each try to get into Jesus' heart a little bit more. And then I got to thinking about it. That's what the church is supposed to be. That we're supposed to be in this place. The church is all informational. Let me give you a bunch of information. Y'all have had enough sermons. We ought to have had this whole city saved five times over. Y'all don't need another sermon. We need an encounter with the Holy Ghost that sets us on fire and sets us on a journey to where when you come into church, you've gotten so much revelation, you're trying to tell me stuff. Enough to choke you up, isn't it? <laughs> I know, I feel the same way. Man. God just wants more out of us. He wants more out of us. God can turn the world upside down with 120 with the Holy Ghost. That first century church evangelized the whole world in 50 years. We've yet to do it since. And we've got more smarts and more everything, more tech, more everything. God's calling us to go deeper, further. Oh, where are we at here? Verse 11. Then I saw a large white throne, and the one who was seated on it, and the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead the great and the small, standing before the throne. I love what happens there because when we define reality, we typically define it as the earth or the world, something we can touch and feel. But when the real reality of Jesus shows up on the throne, those even got to fade away because he is the only reality and the only life. So even they got to kind of like get out of the way here for the true reality to come forth. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and another book was opened, the book of life. So the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each one was judged according to his deeds. Isn't that something? That even the lost bodies at sea find their way before God in this judgment. There's a husband and wife fighting one time, and she said, When you're dead, I'm going to dance on your grave. He said, Good, I'm going to be buried at sea. 
That was a bad time for humor there, sorry. <laughs> I'm still growing. Oh, where are we at? 14, yeah. Back to the scary stuff. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Notice that. Death and the holding place for death is thrown into the lake of fire. What does that mean? Jesus is destroying death altogether. Well, we never have to see or experience it ever, 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 ever again. And you can't appreciate that till you've really lost somebody close to you. That there'll be no more goodbyes at that moment. Only hellos. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that person was thrown into the lake of fire. So on judgment, all these books are opened up. And they are the books that are our life. That God is, and his angels are somehow pinning out our actions, our thoughts, our deeds in some kind of way. And it's like there's a biography. But a biography with no slant. A biography that is real. But then it says there's another book open called the Book of Life, and there's people's names written in that book. And the Book of Life is the book of Jesus. It's those who have said, I'm transferring my biography to life in relationship with Jesus, and that my life is going to become his life. I'm living the rest of my life for him. So you have to ask yourself, which name is my book in? Am I going to trust on my own deeds and my own merits and my own abilities? Or am I going to say, no, I'm signing my name over here in Jesus' life and saying, that's where I'm putting my name. That's whose life I'm trusting. That's whose life I'm going to imitate. Not my own biography, but I'm trying to live out Jesus' biography here on earth. And that's not far-fetched, because what is the church called? The body of Christ. Why did Jesus die in his prime at 30-something years old? So that he could walk out the rest of his life in you. And that's what he wants to do. You to walk in a relationship with him and live out this life. Lord, we just thank you, God.